Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Salatu salamu ala Resulina ve alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Allahumma salli ve sellem ve barik ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to give us tawfiq in these gatherings to do that which is pleasing to him inshallah and to um, and to come closer to him and worship him in the best way that we possibly can inshallah trying to figure out what's good for this light it's all bad but some of it's worse than others so forget it I'm just gonna do it like that and it'll be what it is so bismillah we'll start with the qal musannifun rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafaradahu yahu bi'ulumhi fi darin amin we left off on number 66 number 66 where he says min jahlin muridi an yusi'a al-adaba fatu'akhara al-uqubatu anhu fayaqul لو كان هذا سوء أدب لقطع الإمداد وأوجب الإبعاد فقد يقطع المدد عنه من حيث لا يشعر ولو لم يكن إلا منع المزيد وقد يقام مقام البعد وهو لا يدري ولو لم يكن إلا أن يخليك وما تريد So he says what could be translated as um, it is ignorance on the part of the novice to act improperly And then his punishment having been delayed to say if this, had been, if this had been improper conduct He would have shut off help and imposed exile Help could be withdrawn from him without his being aware of it If only by blocking its increase And it could be that you are made to abide at a distance Without you knowing it If only by his leaving you to do as you like um, So part of the challenge of this translation here Is that The word Medad And imdad Are being translated as Help Which is not a bad translation It's actually true But it, it doesn't give kind of like the flavor Of what's going on here So uh, what What is the situation? The situation is That the person who's trying On their, their journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala They do some sort of impropriety They act in a way that's not appropriate In regards to their relationship with Allah And their relationship with the people and so on And rather than being punished for that Right away That punishment is delayed And um this kind of shows you like how attentive these people were to um, to their lives and their relationship with Allah and the things that were going on around them and stuff. Uh, it's like one of the early righteous people said something along the lines of, uh, "I know when I've done something wrong because I see it in the behavior of my donkey." You know, like when when I when I commit a sin, I see it in the behavior of other other things around me. Uh, Ibn Atta'ala, radiyallahu anh, later on in the hikam, he says the, the, 
one person they wake up and they say what am I doing today and the other person they wake up and they say what is Allah doing with me today and so these there's two different angles on it right so the, the person is being so attentive that when they make a mistake they kind of expect some sort of consequence to that like maybe they go through a period where um, they don't get as much out of their prayer or dhikr becomes harder for them or some sort of difficulty happens whatever it might be so it says that the person has a, a, a do something that's ill-mannered and their punishment is delayed so instead of instead of being grateful for that they say oh if this had actually been bad manners then this support that I'm getting, the spiritual support and help, this imdad, the spiritual support and help that I've been receiving from Allah, the madad, uh, then it would have been cut off. And I would feel this distance between me and Allah. But I don't feel that. So I guess that what I did really wasn't that bad after all. So this is kind of like the way that it's going on, right? Um, so, you know... Um, Maybe, for example, they say like uh, one of the big ways to have bad manners with Allah is to make claims. To make claims. So some of the uh, righteous people, they'll say, beware the maker of claims. The one who says, oh, I'll never do that. Or I've never, that's never been an issue for me. Oh, I'm never going to fall into that. Oh, I always do that. I'm not, you know, these kind of things are claims. It's a claim. Like, I've never had a problem waking up. I don't know why you have a problem waking up for Fajr. I've never had a problem waking up for Fajr. That's a big claim. And so the, a reasonable consequence to that claim would be that you're not able to wake up for Fajr. <laughs> you know? Like, you, you made that claim that was bad adab with Allah. And now Allah gives a punishment, for example. If you having, now you have a really difficult time waking up for Fajr on time. And you're going to learn that lesson through kind of like uh, the interaction, right? So this person is saying they make they make a mistake, they do something they weren't supposed to do, and they have these bad manners. And instead of saying, "Oh man, that was really bad. I shouldn't have done that," they say, "You know, if that was really such a bad thing, then how am I still doing what I'm still doing? How is it that I still feel okay in my relationship with Allah? How is it that I'm still going, and so on and so forth?" Um, so this is kind of like the scenario that's being painted. So he says it's possible then, um, it's possible, help could be withdrawn from him without him being aware. Like your madad, the, the spiritual support that you're getting, which is actually carrying you through things, which you don't even realize it's carrying you through things. Um, and this is one of kind of like the subtleties of, of the spiritual life is that um, with the physical life, you know, usually, even in the physical life, it's, it's not always the case that we see the things that are benefiting us, right? Like... Usually we know, like so-and-so helped me to get this job, or so-and-so is supporting me in this, and so-and-so is doing that, or whatever. Sometimes people are doing things for us, and we don't even know they're doing them. And oftentimes, in the in the realm of spirituality, uh, Allah is, is supporting us and doing things for us without us even realizing that it's happening, right? And so, this it's possible, what, what he's saying here is that it's possible that the support that you were getting could be cut off and you don't even know because you didn't even realize you were getting it in the first place you know so now it's now if it's not coming to you you don't realize that either and if uh and even if it's as simple as something 
as not getting more. So like maybe you're actually progressing in your relationship with Allah and you start to make these claims and you start to have these bad manners and things the way that you're not supposed to do with Allah. And then what happens is not, nothing really apparent happens except that you stop growing. And, and even if that's what happened, then, then that means there was some sort of severance between you and, and your Lord or me, or me and my Lord. Um, and maybe it's that he could be put in a position or she can be put in a position where they're actually distant from Allah but they don't even realize it they don't realize that they're distant from Allah and um, subhanAllah you know the scary thing about seeing things in other people is that you see sometimes something in someone else and you're like wow that's happening to them and they don't even realize it and then you look at yourself and you're like I wonder how many things are happening to me and I'm not realizing it. Like <laughs> like how many how if if I can see that in someone else then someone else can probably see that in me. Like there's things that I'm not uh, like that's clear that I've been distanced from Allah at some level in this thing and um and I don't realize it. I'm just going about my business, not paying attention. Uh and he says that could be it could be that you were made to abide at a distance without you knowing it if only by his leaving you to do as you like if only as if if only it was him leaving you to do as you like which means like instead of allah uh, guiding your affairs now allah just left you to make your own decisions and to do your own things and and because you thought you were in, not in need of that you had that bad manners to think that you don't you know, I'm making some really good decisions. I think I can do this really by myself. And I can really figure this thing out. And, you know, I'm really okay. And, I, you know, and you start to, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you start to think like, you know, you start to think you're the one driving your own ship. And you're not the one driving the ship. And so it says here that it could be even that he put you at a distance and you don't know it. Or maybe he just left you to your own devices. He's like, okay, you want to drive the ship? Go ahead and drive the ship. You know, um, uh, go ahead and drive the ship. Um, is this like Asnawi? Uh, is this like Istighatha? Istighatha? Or oh, istighna, istighna. Got you. Is this like istighna? Yeah, it's similar. It's like thinking, thinking you don't really. I don't really need the help, you know. And so if you don't really believe that you need the help in the first place, such that that means you're not going to recognize the help that you're getting. It's like kids sometimes. Uh, they think like they're doing everything. They don't realize how much their parents are doing for them. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, uh, how about I just stop doing this for you for a little bit and see how you feel about that. Um Yeah, so this is a good question Batul is asking. How can we tell apart this lack of progression from spiritual plateaus? Spiritual progress is not always upwards anyways, is it? Sometimes we need to stay at a level for a while. That's very true. And sometimes we're not, oftentimes we're not the best judges of where we are anyways. Like we think that we've plateaued or we think we're going through some sort of decline. But in reality, we're not. That's just, you know, maybe like Allah being generous with us and hiding our own progress from us such that it doesn't go to our head and so on and so forth. Um, I think that the the big thing here uh, 
would be to if we focus on what the hikmah is saying is, is specifically saying hikmah is saying someone does something they're not supposed to do instead of owning it and taking responsibility for it they play it off like it's not a big deal so how would we know if 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 it's just a plateau or if it's a decrease it's it's not a plateau if we don't think it's a big deal if we start getting complacent if we start thinking like you know, whatever, who cares, I didn't really do anything wrong anyways, I'm really good. If I start having all of these kind of things, then it's probably not a plateau, it's probably a lot worse than that. But if I'm, you know, constantly trying to maintain my relationship with Allah and proper adab with Allah, and you are my Lord and I'm the servant and you are completely capable, ya Allah, and I'm completely incapable, and all of these things are in the right place, then if we don't feel progression, we shouldn't give that too much thought. We should we should trust in Allah that He He will take us in our in our journey to Him step by step, uh, even if we don't feel those steps. You know, uh, so that's a, that's a very good question, Mashallah. The commentator at the end of this section, he says, um, he, he makes this point, he connects it to this issue of the, the one that had come up before about being kind of complacent with oneself um, and being content with oneself, being self-contented, like, you know, not, not that complacency. That the person to be complacent with themselves and their development is is it doesn't bring anything except for harm to them. And just as for the person to accuse themselves and to be reproachful of themselves and to analyze themselves in that way, then um, then that only brings them good. So what's happening here in this hikmah is the person has left the place of being critical of themselves and have abandoned that and basically said, you know, uh, I don't need to do that. And so that's that's not a good thing. Okay, so 67. This is subhanAllah kind of tied into the question. Uh, in some ways, 67 is a little bit tied into the question because the question... Um, has to do with plateaus and in some ways 67 has to do with plateaus so check this out what he says he says radiallahu an idha ra'ayta abdan aqamahu allahu ta'ala bi wujudi al-awrad wa adamahu alayha ma'atul al-imdad fala so he says If you see a servant whom God has made to abide in the recitation of litanies awrad, and prolonged his help therein do not disdain what his Lord has given him on the score 
that you do not detect the signs of the Gnostics on him, nor the splendor of God's lovers. For had there been no inspiration, there would have been no litany, there would have been no wirt. If there was no warid, there was no wirt. So the, there's a play on words in it that you don't catch in the English. Inspiration and litany are um, kind of like related to each other in their derivation. Um, so, um, so, so here you have again this idea of the awrad that a person is committed to some sort of litany and recitation of a litany. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit before. The idea of taking something as your daily devotional. Um, whether that might be like a portion of the Qur'an, it might be um, some hadith of the Prophet wasallam that some of the du'as that he used to make in the morning and the evening. It could be any number of things like that. Could be something that like maybe a spiritual teacher told you you should recite this every day. There's different ones that are out there. They're very, you know, pretty well known. Uh, probably on Thursday night we did one of them. Al-Wurd uh, al-Latif is pretty well known. Al-Ma'thurat for people who come from mass circles um, is pretty well known. These are litanies. They're like uh, regiments of recitation of some sort of dhikr or Quran or whatever it might be. Um, and the Prophet ﷺ very clearly did this, as did the righteous people throughout history, in addition to their basic minimums. So he says, if you see someone who's regular in these awrad, and Allah has given him the capacity to do that, so they've, they've been regular in it, and, and that's a gift from Allah. You don't just do that on your own accord. So kind of what he's hinting at, hinting at here is that's like a gift from Allah in and of itself that a person is able to be consistent in that way. Um, and then if you find that, then uh, beware of how you look at this person. So it's very interesting kind of what he's getting at here because he says, beware, do not disdain what, that, what his Lord has given him on the score that you do not detect the signs of Gnostics on him nor the splendor of God's lovers. So what he's saying is that there are these certain stereotypes of religiosity, right? There are certain stereotypes of religiosity. One of them is like the ascetic person, you know, Sima al-Arifin. So this person is like an Arif. They're so uh, in tune with Allah that you're really seeing that in the way that they, you know, they're, they're very particular. They carry themselves and they look and they're very... They have like this way of everything about them. You're like, wow, subhanAllah, that person is serious with their Lord. You know, um, in Egypt, they would say, you know, like this is someone who's uh, like, you know, they're, they're, they're with Allah. They're, and um, so that's one category. Another category, he says, Bahjatul Muhibbin. Bahjatul Muhibbin is not that they're like so, um, not rigid, but like disciplined and particular and so on and so forth. But the muhibbin are like the people who are just in love with Allah. They're in love with the Prophet And that just kind of like overflows from how they are. Some people, they're, they're like that too. You know, you, you, like everything, they're so in love with the Prophet that everything you hear from them, everything you see from them, every interaction with them is just like, this is overflowing and everything. So what he's getting at is that you're going to find people who are regular in their worship, who are committed, and Allah has given them the ability to be committed in that litany, and you're not going to see them in these two categories. 
And if you don't see them in those two categories, don't be beware to look down on what Allah has given them. Do not disdain what Allah has given them just because you don't see what you expected to see. Don't disdain what Allah has given them just because you don't see what you expected to see, which is really, really important. Right again, because you know one of the things that comes up in this text is kind of like that issue of this um, fixation on particular models of what it means to be committed to Allah, and you might find people who are committed in different ways, you know, than than just like um, you know being always in worship and stuff like that. And don't look down on it because maybe like. Every, maybe every single day they make their basic minimums And they make their, their wird And then they put on their suit And they put on their tie And they put on their really nice clothes And they go and like do their thing In the world of business and sales and marketing And whatever it might be And there's conversations and arguments and things and whatever And they're, trying, they're doing their thing as best as they possibly can To keep it ethical, to keep it right To treat people properly and so on and so forth But they're like, you know, they're they're doing really well and your interactions with them are like you know you don't see anything special about those interactions but this person has been regular in their in their in their wird don't don't underestimate what that is is basically what this is saying don't underestimate what that is because there are things there that this person has um, that you maybe don't realize and more importantly uh, recognize that if Allah didn't love this person, He wouldn't have given him the He wouldn't have given them the ability to be consistent in their in their litany. You know, regardless of your interpretation of it, if Allah didn't see something special in them, they wouldn't have been able to do this. So, if nothing else, respect them because of what Allah has given them. Because if Allah hadn't given them that inspiration, they wouldn't have been able to make that word. If He didn't give them that wadid, they wouldn't be able to make that word. Mm. 68 So um, He says God makes some people remain in the service of him and he singles out others to love him. And the verse from the Quran is, All do we aid those, these as well as those out of the bounty of thy Lord, and the bounty of thy Lord is not limited. It's a very famous verse and a very beautiful verse. Like There's different categories of people. All of those categories of people, Allah is giving them aid. Allah is the one that's supporting them. Numid, same, same word again. Allah is giving them the madad. Allah is giving them the support and the aid and the help. And he's giving all of them the support and the aid and the help. So don't and and wh- and when he wants to give it, he's going to give it. It's not limited. Subhanahu wa taala. So some some of them will be in the service. Some of them will be in in love. Um. Uh, he says in the. Um, so he says that in the in the commentary. The, these, this, the, the first category of people, their, um, their service is in uh, mostly from the limbs. Those who have been, uh, God makes some people remain in the service of Him, and He like the 
the the worship that they're doing is worship of the, of the body of the limbs uh, whether that's like worship worship or whether that's some sort of physical worship I mean uh, some sort of service to create creation or humanity or whatever it might be and the other category are people who primarily their their worship is the worship of the hearts their worship is the worship of the hearts um, now that doesn't mean that they don't have the first wood but it means that their distinction is in the second one okay so these are both possibilities um, I think that kind of answered Zawar's question um, so for example uh, as we've, we've said many times before two people could do the same outward action but their inward action is different or some people they don't have like extra extraordinary outward actions but their inward actions are really special so um, you know the famous story in that regard is the story of the man who the Prophet them is sitting with his companions and he tells them a man is going to enter upon you and this man is from the people of paradise and they see a man enter and they're like okay they're taking notes the next day comes Yes, like look at the next day comes and the Prophet and I'm sitting with them again and he says, The man is gonna enter upon you, this man is from the people of paradise. So they look and it's the same person. Third day comes, same person. So they're like, Man, what's up with this? So one of the companions he went to the guy and he said, You know, I had a little debate issue with my father and uh, I told him I'm not gonna come to the house for three days, can I stay with you for these three days? And he's like, Okay, yeah, sure. The right of the brother over the brother, it was coming like, you know. The right of the brother of the brother, it's known for them, it's no issue. So he's like, I'm going to stay with you for three days. He says, okay. So um, he says that nighttime came, and uh, he expects him to like get up and pray all night. And he barely prays in the night. You know, maybe like two rakah right before Fajr. Then he says, okay, well, he's going to fast during the day. If the day come, daytime comes, he doesn't, he doesn't fast. Um... And then the next day, same thing. The next day, the same thing. So then afterwards, he's going to leave. He tells him, look, I actually didn't have an issue with my dad. But the thing was, is that the Prophet them said that you're from the people of paradise. And I wanted to see, like, what is it about you that makes you from the people of paradise? And um, he told him, what you see is what there is. Like, I don't. You know, he said, I, because I didn't see it. So I came, I wanted to see, but now that I've, I've been here, I haven't seen anything special. So the guy's like, what you see is what there is. I don't have anything other than, you know, what you see. And um, so he starts to walk away and he tells him, you know, there is one thing. And he says, what? He says, the one thing is that I don't, every night when I go to sleep, I don't have anything in my heart towards any believer. I don't have anything negative in my heart towards any believer. And then this companion told him, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's that thing right there. So that's a, that's an issue of... Um, um, that's that's an issue of, uh, of, the, of the heart. It's not an issue of the limbs, right? It's an issue of the heart. Um, yeah, Baraz's question is a good question, man. Um, on the side issue, the Sahabi who said he had an issue with his dad, what is the justification for him telling that mistruth? He essentially made up an excuse, a story. Um, I've often wondered that, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I think it would be fruitful to go back to the narrations 
and maybe look at what is the particular wording that he used. Maybe there's some sort of wording that he used that uh, could have been like, you know, they say ta'rid, uh, when you like say something that is true, but it's true because you under you in you intended it one way, and you knew even though you knew they weren't going to understand it that way, they were going to understand it some other way. But it wasn't, you know, like when the Prophet when Sayyidina Ibrahim told the people that he's sick, and he wasn't really sick, he was just sick of their worshipping idols. Uh, and the Prophet when they asked him, where are you from? He said, I'm in Matt, that I'm from water, I'm from Matt. And he meant that like Allah said that everything is created from Matt, from water. And he knew that the person was going to understand that he was from a place called Matt. So maybe there's, maybe there's some... Um, uh, particularity in this um, in the narration that needs to be um, uh, that needs to be uh, you know looked at and maybe even at the end how he said to him at the end like I didn't have an issue with him maybe there's a particularity of the way that he said that too and that I'm narrating it by what I recall and the ways that I've heard it and sometimes um, it's important to go back and look at like what what actually was the exact wording of the text because the answer is probably there in the exact wording, and if it's not, then it's definitely going to be there in the commentaries. So I have to try to find it, inshallah. Um, is this a, this is a narration of it? Then does it have the Arabic? <laughs> if it doesn't have the Arabic, then. Uh, I am in a dispute with my father and I have sworn not to enter my home for three days. I have not been in dispute with my father and I have, nor have I cut relations with him. I heard, yeah. So if that's the actual, oh, here's the, uh, the Arabic is there too. Seems that that's the way it's narrated. I don't know. Needs further research. Needs further research. Um, it's okay. It's, it's nice to ask questions. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, Sixty-nine. لأن لا يدعيها العباد بوجود الاستعداد 
This one says ibad. You can do it either way. And ibad or al-ubad bi wujud al-istadad. So this is saying, it is rare that divine inspirations come except suddenly. Uh, and this so that they may be protected from servants claiming them by virtue of the existence of receptivity on their part. So what is this saying? This is saying that these waridat ilahiya, which are these divine inspirations, these, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll give you an example. One year when we went to, this is like the example that always sticks in my head now. Just one year when we went to a, a retreat with one of the college campuses, there was this first night of the retreat. And, you know, we had like the evening session and it just went really well, you know. And and then we had like this ongoing just session afterwards. I don't know who's on this call. Some, some of you may have been at that. Um, uh, and I think that I'm correct in the way that I'm remembering it That I think other people felt the same way that I did That it was just like a really special night And it really set kind of like the tone for the whole weekend And so on and so forth And then I remember coming back the next year And kind of like feeling this expectation You know, like we're going to have a night like that again And it's just going to like, you know, we're going to do that again And uh, I just kept, as as we were going, I just kept thinking about this hikmah. This hikmah is saying, like, you can have, and, and probably some of us have had those experiences before. Like, you just get into a conversation with someone, and it gets really deep. And it gets really profound. And next thing you know, you're feeling these incredible feelings of gratitude and, and um, just really positive feelings in our relationship with Allah. You know, you're just in this in this other place. It's going really well. And, and you're like, wow, subhanAllah, that just came out of nowhere. Like, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and so what he's saying here is that generally the case is that those things come as a surprise. They come as a surprise and they come suddenly. And the reason why Allah does it that way is so that the servants and the worshippers don't think that they came as a result of what they did. Their receptivity The translation that he uses here is receptivity So they don't think like Okay, you know, I prayed all. I, I, I You know, I'm going to get up And I'm going to make all this dhikr today It's You know, and we've probably Maybe some people have tried that But like you get up and you're like I'm going to have like a worship day I'm going to do my salah on time I'm going to get in the masjid I'm going to do this Quran I'm going to do this dhikr And at the end of the day I'm going to open the present from Allah Like as if it's an automatic transactional type thing, right? And what would happen if that was the case? Like, you know, we just do it and we do it, we, everything we do and then we get what we wanted from it. Then uh, from those like inspirations and feelings in the heart and so on. Then we, were, we would think that we were doing that from our own accord. That that was like something that I got because of what I, I did. And that would be completely contrary to everything that's been in the hikam so far, right? Like the whole point is... Allah does what Allah does and we worship him and we submit to him. And if he decides to like give me some sort of beautiful inspirations and, and reflections and so on and so forth as a result of this experience that I had in Salat, then alhamdulillah he gave me that. And he gave it to me in like a time when I totally didn't. It wasn't like the time when my Salat was perfect. 
it was a time when I was struggling to get it right, and then all of it, and I thought my salat was so bad, and then all of a sudden he gave me this gift. Um, so these divine inspirations they come suddenly, so that the servants can't actually claim that they're the ones who are the cause for these things. You know, you're not you're not the cause. Allah is the cause, and Allah will give it when He wants to give it. Um, so don't go into like an act of worship, an act of service, an act of whatever it might be. Expecting like some particular gift from Allah He'll give something because he is a shakur He'll give something now, he'll give something in the next life Whatever it might be But um, uh, That's that's not always going to be the case It's not the way that it works So just go into everything as it is And if something comes, it comes If it doesn't come, it doesn't come Like That's not what you're there for anyways You're there to worship Allah Not to get like these Um um, you know, early early glad tidings or gifts or whatever it is. Okay, so that's sixty nine seventy. Uh, is a scary one. It's a scary one. Uh, he says, Mara Eitahu. Mara Eitahu. Or Menra Eitahu. Mujiban an Kulima. Oh, I didn't move it. Sorry. So I'm reading from my book. Menra Eitahu Mujiban an Kulima Suil. Wamuabiran an Kulima Shahid. Wadakiran Kulama Alim. Fastadilla Bidalika ala Wajudi Jahni. This is a rough one. <laughs> He says, if infer the presence of ignorance in anyone whom you see answering all that he has asked, or giving expression to all that he witnesses, or mentioning all that he knows. If you see someone with these characteristics, then use that as an evidence to recognize that this person is ignorant. This is an ignorant person. They didn't they don't actually understand. So what are the what are the descriptions? The first description is they answer everything that they're asked. They answer everything that they're asked. It is extraordinarily rare that you can find someone who's able to answer everything that they're asked, especially especially in issues of religion. Because the world of Islamic studies is so incredibly vast and the details uh, are so numerous that it's just very rare. Now, you might find someone who's like specialized in a particular field. So when they're asked about that particular field, they're able to contribute on it. That's not the point. But the point is like you find some like you find sometimes and uh, you know, sometimes it's common amongst imams the imams or sheikhs or whatever. It's it's you you're just re- amazed by them cuz you're like subhanallah, this person knows everything. And uh, of course, you realize that they don't really know everything, um, but they think they know everything, and they just they have an opinion on every single issue. Like they're they're a specialist in law, and in medicine, and in politics, and in society, and in culture, and in history, and in the Quran, and in the Hadith, and in the Fiqh, and in the Tazkiyah, and in the stories of the prophets, and in the Tafsir, and they're just like, how do they do that? And they're only 25 And you're like Subhanallah How did they 
how did how did you do that? I mean, there's maybe like there are exceptional people in Islamic history, but even those exceptional people, they didn't do that, you know. And of course, the famous story in that regard is the the people that came to Imam Malik, and he was the Imam of Darul Hijrah. He was the Imam of the city of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the great scholar of his time, who was in a time of many, 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 many great scholars. And the people came from North Africa to ask him a set of questions. And a good portion of those questions, he said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And they said, you know, we came all the way from North Africa to ask these questions to Imam Malik because you're the great Imam of like the world, basically. Um, so what do we go back and tell our people? And he told them, you go back and you tell your people that you went to Malik and you asked him the questions. And Malik said, I don't know. That's, that's what you tell them <laughs> And that's why the people of knowledge They always say uh, That to say I don't know Is half of learning To recognize that I don't know I don't, There's a lot of things I don't know I don't, I don't know that one for sure I don't know this one for sure And um, you know the st- Stretching the things that we know And speaking on them as if we know them Has major consequences You see this a lot actually With Parents and children Because parents And they're trying to teach their kids about the religion uh, And trying to convince them of certain things And so on and so forth oftentimes end up Extending beyond what they really know And getting into areas that aren't really their areas And then they end up actually Saying things that aren't really true And then those things accumulate And then you know it has a consequence later on Um so to, if you see someone who's just They're able to answer everything um, You know that's That's something to be concerned about So that's number one Number two is Mu'abbiran an kulli ma shahid Mu'abbiran an kulli ma shahid So this is like they Give expression to all that they witness So this is now a different issue This is the issue of like And this one also now is like very commonplace because what do we do is like anytime we have some sort of religious experience This is a witnessing is a, You know, it's some sort of religious experience There's a witnessing to it So, you know, I witnessed this thing in my relationship with God And I had this insight And what am I going to do with that insight? What's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to send it Either in a WhatsApp group Or I'm going to post it online somehow and every single one of those things that we have, immediately the first thing that happens is we post about it. And that leads to a really, really shallow relationship with God. Uh, it's not that you can't share things, you know. If you really feel that there's a need to do so and that you're not doing it out of self-aggrandizement and out of trying to make yourself look pious and all of those kind of things, and, and you know, you think that there will be some benefit in sharing it, go ahead, share whatever you, you know. If that's the that's the um, the situation, but make sure that if you're going to do that, that you're not sharing every single thing that happens like that. You know, maybe there's like you know you have a multiple number of them, and then one of them you're like you know I think this might be some benefit for the people, and then you have more after that, and you keep them to yourself. But if you're like sharing all of your things. Then probably they're not actual real spiritual experiences They're probably more like delusions of the nefs That you thought were spiritual experiences um, Which also happen, you know Like mashallah I had this 
I had this prayer and it was like the most remarkable prayer on earth and because like you know I just I was working so hard in my salah and you know it's just the wudu you should have seen the wudu that I made that day it was the most perfect wudu like the prophet said the one who makes the wudu perfect like the perfect it was perfect wudu and then I went and I stood and I faced the qibla and mashallah the qibla like you know sometimes you face the qibla and you're off by 0.1 degrees I was not even off by 0.1 degrees and then you know and they're like and then I had this experience it's probably a delusion. <laughs> you, know? you you had that experience to convince yourself that all of those things that you did were actually for Allah, when really they were just about you trying to um, think that you were special. You know. So this is muabbiran an kulli mashahid wa zakiran kullama alim, and um, they're mentioning all that they know. So this is different than answering everything that they're asked. Right, answering everything that they're asked is they're being asked something, and they answer it. But mentioning everything that they know is also here. Um, mentioning everything that they know is also here, which is not necessarily that they're even being asked about it, right? It's like you're in a conversation, and everything in the conversation, um, you know, like it's a base level conversation. It's a simple issue, and instead of it, talking about the simple issue, that this person is just like giving you everything, everything that they know on the topic. Um, uh, they're going to share it Interesting question that came here uh, I have a question Did the Prophet them share every religious experience Or did he keep some things to himself um, As far I mean I don't think that we have a reason to believe That he shared all of his religious experiences No I think that anything that he uh, needed to share in terms of like this is religious teaching because teaching is different than experience right so if someone um, you know uh, like the Prophet and them we don't get the narrations about the Prophet and them's experiences in acts of worship for example from him we get them from other people we get like someone saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, usually his wives, like the people of his home, someone came into the masjid. So like, you know, Aisha will say, radiallahu anha, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was getting up and he was praying and like something was revealed to him and he came in and his his face was, his beard was filled with so much crying and, and weeping and then the, such such that the floor be, beneath him was wet and like, he's not telling us that, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Someone else saw that and he's not like showing it to them, it's just they live in a small room and... There's only so much that you can hide, right? Um, but if it's something that the Prophet them has to share from a, um, um, from like a uh, perspective of, of the actual teaching or clarifying right from wrong or what we should do and so on and so forth, then yeah. Um, I mean, generally, actually, what's interesting about the Prophet them is that when it comes to these things, there's not a whole lot of conversation on it. And that's why even with a lot of like the spiritual teachers and stuff, there won't be a whole lot of conversation on these things. It will be like, worship your Lord, purify your heart, do what you need to do, and keep that between you and Allah. And that's as much as I can say about it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like what the, like, what, what else is there for me to say about it? And what you experience, you experience. Um, but clarifying what's true and what's false and that stuff, the Prophet them, of course. Um, 
If we have a friend that can understand and give us insight about our spiritual experiences, is it okay to share experiences with that person? It can be. If they are someone who, um, you know, sometimes you need to talk to someone about some of the things that you might be experiencing. Um, and if, if, if they've gone through them or, you know, they have some sort of reason in that way. But just be careful of like, Telling them, again, telling them everything. You know, you might need some certain some things might happen where you're like, you know what, I need to get some perspective on this because, like, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just crazy, or, or whatever. Like that's okay to talk to people, but you, you now you're talking to them from the perspective of trying to understand and trying to ascertain the truth and so on, rather than like basically bragging or whatever else. However else you want to look at that. Um, good questions, mashallah. Good questions today. Let's plug this computer in before it dies on me. These kids are starting, you know, week we're going into week four of this shelter and place stuff. Kids are starting to go crazy. Alhamdulillah. If you're, if you're able to hear these noises in the background. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, especially by the end of the day, they've completely lost it. Um, so these are the three things. Uh, I personally think that this this hikmah is like really remarkable because you do see this. Uh, and sometimes you do find yourself falling into these things. And, uh, you know, it takes some, takes some restraint, some discipline to... To refrain at some level from from doing that. <sighs> All right, this one is really beautiful. Um, kind of shifts gears a little bit. So he says, إِنَّمَا جَعَلَ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ مَحَلًا لِجَزَائِ عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ الدَّارَ لَا تَسَعُ مَا يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُعْتِيَهُمْ وَلِأَنَّهُ أَجَلَّ أَقْدَارَهُمْ عَنْ أَنْ يُجَازِيَهُمْ فِي دَارٍ لَا بَقَاءَ لَهَا So he says, he made the hereafter, Allah made the hereafter, an abode to reward his believing servants. Only because this world cannot contain what he wishes to bestow upon them. And because he deemed their worth too high to reward them in a world without permanence. So he says, what does, what's up with this whole, like, you know, we have this life, it's temporary. Then we have this next life that's permanent. And then, like, the reward, the, the place for the reward really is in the next life. Why is that? He says, part of why that is, is because... This life that we're in, it cannot actually handle what Allah wills to give to His believing servants. You know? So, it can't handle it. It just doesn't. 
there's limits on it. There's limits on this world, and because there's limits on this world, it's not. It's a. It's an abode of of tribulation and test. It's not an abode of reward. You'll have things, of course, but the real reward is in the hereafter because that's the place where those limits aren't there anymore. And Allah can give as He wills to give, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He wishes to bestow upon them because He deemed their worth too high to reward them in a world that's not permanent. He has to be able to give it. Uh, every the part of the, con- the nature of this world is that it's not permanent. So how can He reward them in a place that's not permanent? He wants to reward them in a place that's permanent, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um... You know, subhanAllah, I was thinking about like Jannah And one of the things they say about this life That one of the things they say about this life um, Is that Why are there no limits in the afterlife? Maybe this will help answer the question Uh the way that we know things in this life is by their opposites. Right? This is how we, in this world that we're in, this is how we know things. So they say, like, you know, you can't really appreciate love if you don't understand hate. You can't really appreciate wealth if you don't have an understanding of poverty. You can't really appreciate health if you don't have an understanding of pain. Right? So if all of those seemingly negative things were gone, and all you had was these positive things, they wouldn't mean anything. This is nothing to compare. It's like, it's like if you were to hold a white piece of paper up against a wall of the exact same color. <laughs> and that's all you could see. Is those, like, you just can't really differentiate between them. You can't appreciate it because you can't differentiate. Now, so what happens then in the hereafter when those bad things are gone? In, the, in, in, in paradise, those bad things are gone, right? So if those bad things are gone, then how can you appreciate the good things that you have? So you've been given good things uh, that are described in words that we understand, although the Prophet them tells us that that's just a kind of like a placeholder for the reality of that thing in the hereafter. Um, so... So how do I appreciate it then if that's if, if there's only good there? The way that I appreciate it there in the hereafter is because it is an abode without limits. And so they say that, for example, like, say you go to eat an apple in paradise. Every single time you go to eat the apple, the apple tastes better than the time before it. So now you're able to understand the distinction. But you're able to understand the distinction because that limit is taken away. And, um, you know, Allahu Alam. I think it's an, an interesting concept. So we'll do one more, inshallah, and then we'll uh, close for the day. Uh, he says, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa nafarallahu bih. Man wajda thamrata amalihi ajilan fahuwa dalilun ala wujudin qabuli ajilan. 
من وجد ثمرة عمله عاجلا فهو دليل على قبول على وجود القبول آجلا The commentary is just some interesting things here, so I'm going to read them. يعني أن من وجد ثمرة عمله الصالح عاجلا من استئناس مكاشفات وحلاوة مناجات كما يشير إلى ذلك قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم وجعلت قرة عيني في الصلاة فهو دليل على وجود قبول آجلا. So the person who's given the fruit of their deeds, the fruit of their good deeds in this life, such as the feeling of intimacy with Allah when the veils between us and Him are lifted, or the sweetness of calling upon Him. You know, we call upon Him and we make dua and we speak to Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we feel the sweetness in that. That's part of the fruit of that good deed that we did. Uh, as is indicated by the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, uh, and the and the coolness of my eye was made to be in salat. The coolness of my eye was made to be in salat. So the Prophet them is saying like he's finding a fruit of that good deed in this life. The person who finds that, then that's an evidence of the acceptance of that deed in the next life. That it's inshallah accepted from them. They've been given that uh, that sweetness. If they don't get that sweetness, does that mean necessarily that it wasn't accepted? No. But if they find it, then it's potentially an evidence that it was accepted. قال بعض المحققين في قوله تعالى ولمن خاف مقام ربه جنتان جنة معجلة وهي حلاوة الطاعات ولذاذة المناجات والاستئناس بفنون المكاشفات وجنة مؤجلة وهي فنون المثوبات وعلو الدرجات. So he says uh, that. Some of the people of knowledge, they said about the verse where Allah says, the person who fears their Lord, uh, standing in front of their Lord, they have two paradises. They have two paradises. They said one of them is the paradise that comes in this life, and that is the sweetness of good deeds and the, the beautiful flavor of calling upon God and you know experiencing the things that you experience. And, one, and then the other one is the Jannah that is delayed which is the one that has the reward in the hereafter and the elevation of the ranks in the hereafter and so on. وَلَا يَنْبَغِي لِلْعَامِلِ إِذَا وَجَدَ الْحَلَاوَةَ أَنْ يَفْرَحَ بِهَا أَوْ يَقِفَ مَعَهَا لِأَنَّهُ فِي الظَّاهِرِ يَكُونُ قَائِمًا لِلَّهِ وَفِي الْبَاطِنِ إِنَّمَا قَامِ لِحَظِّ نَفْسِي بَلْ لَا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَكُونَ عَمَلُهُ لِنَيْلِهَا لِمَا فِيهَا مِنَ اللَّذَّةِ وَالْحَظْ وَذَلِكَ يَقْدَحُ فِي إِخْلَاصِ عِبَادَتِهِ وَصِدْقِ إِرَادَتِهِ وَلْيَكُونَ اعْتِنَاؤُهُ بِحُصُولِهَا لِتَكُونَ مِزَانًا لِأَعْمَالِهِ وَمِحْكًا مَتْشُورًا مُحْكًا لِأَحْوَالِهِ So what this means is says it's not appropriate for the for the um, person who's doing good deeds if they attain that sweetness of those good deeds it's not really like appropriate for them to become overjoyed by that or to think that that's like the end of it 
to just be like, okay, great, I got that. I, that's what I was going for. That's not what you were going for, right? You're going for Allah, not for that sweetness. So it's not appropriate for them to stop at that point. Because if they did, then outwardly they would be, um, you know, falling into, like outwardly they would be doing what they're supposed to be doing, but inwardly they'd be looking for some sort of personal benefit. And that's not the point. The point is not to look for a personal benefit. The point is to worship God. Um, and their their and their deeds that they're doing should not be in order to feel those things. Should not be in order to feel those things. Uh, because if the, if that is the case, then that's going to uh, harm the sincerity of their worship. Because now they're not doing their worship for Allah. They're doing their worship for like a feeling of joy or happiness or whatever it might be. Um, and the truth of their their desire, you know, the the honesty of their desire and their leaning to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. But rather, their wanting to attain it should be so that they can use that as a scale by which to measure their deeds, not because that's what they're looking for. They're, they're, the only reason they care about it is because that's an indication that inshallah it was accepted. And that's the only thought that goes into it. Nothing, No other thought goes into it. The rest of it is just about Allah. So that, that's how they should leave it. And then, uh, you know, they if, if, the, if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. That's not the... That's not the uh, and, and if it comes, that's not like the end all of the whole thing. And this is really, really important on the spiritual path. And, and it, it came up before in some of the other hikam, this idea of like people who, um, uh, the people who, they experience things on their journey to Allah. And the voice that's calling out from those things is, don't get confused and stop at us. Because... This is just like a. It's just like you know you're traveling on the road and you saw a nice tree. You don't stop and be like, okay, we're done with our trip. You know the tree is really nice, amazing tree right there. Uh, you continue on your journey, and uh, that that then is just part of part of the journey. Inshallah. Allahu alamu sallallahu alaihi Muhammad wa alaihi wa sallam. Subhanallah bi hamdik If there's any questions, please feel free. Um, and if not, then we will we will close and continue next time on number seventy three. Mashallah, I don't want to give you a hint, so go to seventy three next time. Any questions, comments, reflections, things people want to share? really nice mashallah to see a lot of the people attending of course you always want new people to attend but it's really nice to see that a lot of the people that we're seeing on these sessions are the people that generally come um, and you know that's part of like what we're hoping for is that this little community of people that have been attending things and coming to things and so on and so forth um, are are the same people that are still coming and still benefiting and we're managing to stay together at some level, you know. So alhamdulillah. Okay. Khair. Inshallah until we uh, meet again. Subhanakum bihamdika shalla wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa la asr in the insanah fi khusr. 
Barakallahu fikum. As a reminder, all of these are on SoundCloud and iTunes if you want to re-listen to them or share them with others or whatever you want to do with them. InshaAllah. Barakallahu fikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.